Tuesday, December 19th, and what a different world the San Francisco 49ers wake up in today than opposed to, oh, the end of November. December has been very, very good. It's a December to remember. If I can steal from bad car commercials, it's been a December to remember for the 49ers. There is no doubt about that. And it's certainly been a December to forget for the Philadelphia Eagles. Look who's 0 for December. Look who's lost three in a row. I remember we brought my buddy John Kincaid from Philadelphia onto the show. And, you know, John is not an overconfident, braggadocious type of broadcaster either. It's why he and I get along so very, very well through all these years. But he said there wasn't a world, a world that existed where the Eagles would lose three games in a row. Well, careful what you ask for. Just might get it. Oh, you add the fact that the Cowboys lost in Buffalo on Sunday, and look at where the 49ers are right now. They win two of their next three games. They're the one seed, kids. That's that's controlling your own destiny. Now, you know, could they strip? Could, could, could they stumble? Could they fall? Yeah, a lot can happen in three football games. We all know that. The Scara God, football God, should have just been put into every single 49er fan watching Christian McCaffrey testing his knee and Brock in a blue tent on back-to-back plays in Arizona this past weekend. It's all dangling by the thinnest of threads. But that was a pretty thin secondary for the last 90, what, three yards of the night in Seattle on Monday Night Football? Quite a drive from Drew Locke and DK Metcalf on Monday Night Football. Um, What a game, right? I mean, thank you, Seattle. There's some NL West love right there by the Seahawks. Getting it done, keeping their own playoff hopes alive. I'll tell you, I don't know if Geno Smith is a much better quarterback than Drew Locke is. Drew Locke had himself another really decent game. I thought he played decently against the 49ers, but for a couple of interceptions and, you know, <laughs> but for the assassination, how'd you like to play, Mrs. Kennedy? You know, that's one of those, those are big butts. But geez, Drew Locke ain't that bad. He's not that bad. He's really not. And I thought this was a really cool stat that I saw offered by Optistats, Optistats, Omnigrab, the jerk, Optistats, Uh, Drew Locke got the ball down four points with under two minutes left, and he led his team on a game-winning 90-yard touchdown drive and capped it off with a 25-yard or more touchdown pass. The last quarterback to do that, down four, under two minutes, You finish a drive of more than 90 yards with a touchdown pass of more than 25 yards. The last quarterback to do that was Brett Favre on September 20th, 1992. And that is the last game that he ever came off the bench to play in in the NFL. Favre replaced injured starter Don Mikowski in the first quarter of that game and led the Packers to a comeback victory and then began his NFL record streak of 297 consecutive starts the very next week. 321 if you want to count the playoffs too. But I'm not saying Drew Locke is about to be uh, Brett Favre. But I think Drew Locke is about to be considered this guy might be a starting quarterback somewhere else next year. You look at what Jake Browning has done as the understudy for 
Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, that guy looks like he's been overlooked a little too long for whatever reason, and he's been playing pretty well, certainly above any expectations that you would have, and there's some talent out there that gets buried in the mix. There's no doubt about it. There's also talent out there that is on full display that probably is, you know, I would I don't want to say shouldn't be out there, but people are still hoping for things to happen that might not happen. And, you know, it really does bring us back to something that we've been talking about pretty much just in terms of, of Brock Purdy and the never-ending debate around him and the comparisons that he had with Trey Lance. Again, remember, Trey Lance was brought in because he was going to be a game changer and Brock Purdy could never be that because all he might ever be is a game manager. We then saw just this past weekend, Cam Newton, you know, double down on this, double, triple down on game changers, game managers. They're two different things. You know, I'm, I'm almost willing to agree. And I'm going to tell you the choice between a game changer and a game manager, you should probably go with the game manager, right? Game changers are a more risky proposition. Game changers might play a style of football that could lead to them getting hurt more often than a classic pocket quarterback. Game changers might have a higher upside. But so often in the investment world, things with higher upside come with more risks. Now, if you're lucky enough to hit the right risky investment, it could change your fortunes forever. If you're wrong on that risky investment, it could take the whole company down. You know, it's, it's imagine a world where the 49ers did what they did to draft Trey Lance and then Brock Purdy didn't show up at the end of a draft. Is Trey Lance now playing this level of football? I, I, don't, I don't know. We don't know. The answer is probably not. Again, if it were just a system, why did the system fail Trey Lance? If it's just a system, how come Jimmy Garoppolo topped out pretty quickly over here and we all knew that it wasn't going to be a much better than that? If it's just a system, how come this game manager seems to be the perfect fit for it? Maybe the game manager is the better choice. Maybe there are more NFL GMs looking for game managers, and there's more know-nothing fans looking for game changers, and certainly a whole bunch of know-nothing content creators touting game changers, when the less sexy, less appealing, but maybe more effective game manager is the, I don't even want to call it the right choice, but the more prudent choice, the more aware of investment strategy choice? I mean, I don't know. I'm certainly not arguing against look for less physically talented football players in your draft or anything like that at the position of quarterback. You know, bigger, faster, stronger is usually a formula that works out pretty well on a football field. But I don't think Brock Purdy qualifies for any of that. And look at where he is. And I'm not saying these Eagles' losses should be put just on the wings of Jalen Hurts or anything like that. But boy, Jalen Hurts has turned into a bit of a turnover machine, is he not? If he played a less risky style of football, would there be as many turnovers? Yeah, Geno Smith 
He had himself a really nice year last year where I think he led the NFL in completion percentage. Nobody saw that coming from Geno. Now, this time around, he's not able to do it again. Drew Locke looks like, you know, he's a game manager getting a chance and he's managed a couple of decent decent quarters of football. Whether or not the Seahawks won that game or not doesn't really go into it. You know, he can't play defense too. Talent is special. You want as much talent as you can find, obviously. But there is something to be said. Something to be said for just that game manager out there. Maybe the system isn't so bad after all. Thank you very much for turning your entertainment system towards me today. It's great to have you here. Cheers and welcome to all of you. It is wonderful to have you in here. We got a sip of the day coming right up. I can feel it. I I know when I brewed this coffee, we're about ready right here, right now. I know it. Mmm. Nailed it. That was a really good sip. So, what a world. The 49ers wake up in this morning. Thank you, Seattle Seahawks. Thank you, Buffalo Bills. And Merry Christmas from the Bay Area. How about that? Do you like the little thumbnail, the wrapped package of gifts for the 49ers uh, out there, for 49er fans or for other fans to get from the 49ers? Here's your muffin basket. <laughs> um, an awful lot of you have dipped into the muffin basket when it comes to supporting this channel. Memberships are now indeed available. The original memberships were called Plusers. Jillian and I changed that. I don't know how often the change is going to kick in or how fast it's going to kick in. But now what used to be known as the, there's only one level of membership. They said that there should be several different levels of membership. Again, we're not even giving anything away with membership. It's just a way for you to support the channel. And we're going to figure it all out as we go along here. I don't believe in a VIP room for some of the audience that the other, that the rest of the audience isn't allowed into. I'm playing to the entire arena, not just the first 20 rows. Um, lo- lo- love the guys in the back. People in the bleachers, you're my kind of people. I used to sit with you too. So if you're in the bleacher and you're not buying the VIP ticket, just hit a like, hit a subscribe. I would that, that That's what you can do. If you want to become a member, it would be greatly appreciated, obviously. Anyone who becomes a member, as far as I'm concerned, that's your super chatting right there. That's all you need to do, you know, in terms of supporting the channel. If you're a monthly member, I really do appreciate that. I see some people seeing it like, uh, you know, look, some of these people in the chat now have fancy stars next to their name. Am I a less than person because I don't have a fancy star? Legends Pizza says, oh, no, we're not cool without the blue fancy star Legends Pizza. I love love you no matter what color your star is or if it's there or not. It does not matter. But if you do choose to become among the initiated, I would appreciate it. But I totally understand if you don't, and you won't be treated any differently if you don't. That's the way it goes. Uh, we want to welcome James Cipollini. Is that the is that right? He is he is the new member of the day that I look on here. But yes, your your uh, your your names, if you are among the initiated, have a blue star, and they pop up as green names in the YouTube chat. And what do you know? I thank you very, very much for supporting the channel, no matter how you choose to support the channel. Uh, JP from the 510. Oh, and there it says, it says, welcome 
to the initiated for JP from the 510. You are now among the initiated. And you have my permission to enjoy the show. Maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe for Christmas, I'll just get a Bane mask and I'll do special sports Bane only videos for the initiated. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the hell we're doing. I think that's pretty, that speaks for itself every day. What do you think Damon's going to do today? I bet you he comes on and wings it. Yep, that's about it. Uh, speaking of winging it with one of those system quarterbacks, I thought this was a pretty cool stat that I saw from NFL front office on Twitter. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's 2023 49ers team is on pace to be the first team to rank in the top three in scoring, total, passing, and in scoring total, passing, and rushing offense in the same season since the 2000 Broncos. Now, what's interesting about that is the connections between the 2023 49ers and the 2000 and the, the 2000 Broncos. First of all, Mike Shanahan, Kyle's dad was the head coach of that team. I didn't look this up, but is that is that is that McCaffrey's dad on that team too? Is that McCaffrey's dad on that team? I know his quarterback's coach was on that team. As a matter of fact, it was a quarterback. The quarterback of that Broncos team was Brian Greasy. And now he's the guy leaning into Brock Purdy's ear every single practice. He's the guy sitting on the bench next to Brock Purdy going over the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the iPad, the Microsoft Surface tablet in between each and every play. So incredible connection between some Mike Shanahan teams in Denver and what it accomplished in terms of just being in the top three in total points, passing, and rushing. And look at where this 49ers team sits going into what becomes the next version of the game of the year for the 49ers. Again, the goal, the mission is simply this. Three games left, you win two of them. You're a one seed. Doesn't matter what the Eagles do. Doesn't matter what the Cowboys do. You win two of your next three. You get a bye week and you're home for the playoffs. Beyond all that, a win over the Baltimore Ravens would officially cement cement the, the 49ers as the team to beat for the Super Bowl, bar none. I mean, there would be no value to be found on betting them to win the Super Bowl because everyone would expect them to. As a matter of fact, if the 49ers on Christmas beat the Baltimore Ravens loudly, they're going to be double-digit points in every single game that they play for the rest of the year, that includes playoff games and probably the Super Bowl itself, should they be healthy and lucky enough to make it there. I mean, where some of where some people told you this season was at the beginning of it, and where the season is now, lets you just know that these are not these should not be your sports navigators. They have no idea how to plot a course. They have no idea their way around the map. That is hopefully what brought you to me. That is why I hope you appreciate what I'm trying to do without a whole bunch of bells and whistles and clip bait and nonsense and a whole bunch of just, oh, pearl clutching and screaming from the high heavens about this guy's not good enough or this guy's got to be fired. And I'm certainly smarter than everybody in the room and you should listen to me and do it the way I say to do it. That's not what we do over here. 
And I really do believe that the common sense just want to talk about the game and what is happening in reality, not in some, you know, other realm, some multiverse. If you're interested in our universe and not the multiverse, I think this is the sports channel for you. I really do. I think that the rational adult sports fan is the most underserved sports fan in America. It's maybe the most, one of the most underserved customers or audience members, whatever you would want to call the people watching sports. All you're offered on every network is a gang of idiots screaming about hypotheticals at each other that really don't apply to anything we actually watch when the game starts. I've never enjoyed sports coverage like that. And if you're tired of sports coverage like that, hit a like, hit a subscribe, hit notify. Or maybe even consider becoming among the initiated, if you'd like. Little college football news for you this morning that I found pretty interesting. Dan Wetzel of Yahoo uncovered something that, again, just what's it mean to the overall world of football? Well, look, we all know that we have a group of big boys that is so separated itself from the group of, let's call them the others, that before any season starts, if you ask me to list, you know, 10 real contenders for a national championship, I could rattle off 12 teams, and your national champion is probably coming from one of those. A lot of people saw NIL coming, name, image, and likeness, and they said that it was only going to consolidate power even further. Like the rich would get richer, the poor would get poorer, and the big schools would spend more money to hoard more talent, leaving less Real talent for other schools or lesser schools, meaning those schools won't have a chance to compete against the big boys. And there's always been a little bit of this tug of war that's always gone on in the history of college football, the haves and the have-nots. But name, image, and likeness opponents said that it was going to put the haves and have-nots on steroids. And actually, the total opposite has happened. Chalk up another win for the free market, I guess, right? Chalk up another win for opportunity. Uh, the opposite has happened. For the first time since rivals began ranking recruits in 2006, the top 10 recruits in the country are all going to different programs. Normally, you have a very hot team or a recruiting class where guys get to know each other and they determined, all right, a couple of us are going to go to this program and we're going to turn it into our program and we're going to be a big part of this team's almost you know, scheduled appearance in a national championship game. You know, Going to Alabama or going to Georgia isn't taking much of a risk in terms of, do you think we're going to play for something? Yeah, you're, you're automatically going to play for something if you're at one of those two schools, right? Well, uh, the 10 to 10 phenomenon uh, came into place this week because Dylan Rayola, who was the nation's top-ranked quarterback recruit and second overall recruit, flipped from Georgia to Nebraska. 
Nebraska must have ponied up some serious dough for him to come in a little NIL action, right? Uh, Nebraska is looking at how far it's fallen since joining the Big Ten, and it's just saying we got to do something other than that. So it's a huge, huge get for Nebraska. In the past, top recruits, writes Dan Wetzel, tended to bunch together, usually to sign with one of the hot programs of the moment or a steady national championship contender. In 2020, for example, Clemson signed three of the top four recruits alone. This year's top 10 players are committed to Ohio State, Nebraska, Missouri, Alabama, Auburn, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Georgia, Texas, and Miami. So the talent is spreading out, at least a little. Now, the best programs will still have the most elite talent, writes Stan Wetzel. They'll just have a little less of it. And lesser programs might not be able to match you position position with talent, but they'll have a little bit more of it. And what we're also seeing is that this transfer portal has really been a boon for non-traditional programs because there are some guys who realize, okay, I could be buried on the depth chart and not really get any looks or snaps that matter until my junior or senior year at some program, or I could go to a lesser program and play my ass off. Kids are like, wait a minute, so you're going to give me a certain amount of money to come be this team starting quarterback that is better than less amount of money to be fourth on the depth chart over here? Okay. So the transfer portal is just this great equalizer and name, image, and likeness is not the separator of haves and have-nots that some feared it to be. I find this stuff totally fascinating. Totally fascinating. And Jillian wants you to know, yes, per Damon's request, members are now the initiated because anyone who is in here is a plusa by definition. The question is, were you born into it or did you merely train? <laughs> this is freaking ridiculous. <laughs> so, Okay. Howard Beck, who I think is a really good basketball writer, decided to take on the Golden State Warriors and sort of examine the dynasty. It's close to the end. What is hastening its end? What could possibly keep a window to contend open in a season where it looks like this window is becoming more and more closed than it is staying open, right? So I want to read to you a little bit from Howard Beck and The Ringer, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? Okay. Howard Beck writes, It's tempting to dwell on the chaos, to get lost in the haze of punches and chokeholds, to make one man's meltdown the symbol of a dynasty's demise. It's very tempting to blame Draymond Green. It's easy to get caught up in the what-ifs. What if Green hadn't punched Jordan Poole last year? What if Green hadn't throttled Rudy Gobert last month or smacked Yusuf Nurkic last week? What if he had exercised more self-control? What if he were on the court now making basketball magic with Steph Curry instead of serving an indefinite suspension? With just days to go into Christmas, the Warriors are a distant 11th place in the West, 12 and 14, and six of those losses have come on nights where Green was either ejected or suspended, and there are surely many more to come before the league reinstates him. 
NBA dynasties do not die by fisticuffs or suspensions, or by the sins of a single wayward soul. They die of old age, of brittle ligaments, of cranky backs. They die of hubris and ego. They die of nostalgia and benign neglect. They die because it's the nature of things, and not even team owner and Joe Lacob's billions or his light years ahead proclamations or his two timeline fantasies can change that. The truth is the warriors of Steph Curry and Draymond are by historical standards already stretching the limits for longevity. If we measure a dynasty's team or term from its first championship to its last with the same core stars, then Golden State has already matched or surpassed four of the NBA's seven historic dynasties defined here in Howard Beck's column as winning three titles in a decade. And then he examines the other teams that qualify for the seven dynasties under those you know parameters. And he comes back to the Warriors after examining how other dynasties kind of came and went and folded in the staying power of the San Antonio Spurs, which kept it going pretty much longer than anybody. Um, when it comes back to the Warriors, Howard writes, hold on, let me get the Jillian message down there. Thank you, honey. We've buried the Warriors prematurely before. It absolutely looked like the run was over in June of 2019 when Kevin Durant's Achilles snapped and Thompson's knee buckled in the finals. Many obituaries were written, but Thompson eventually healed. Durant was parlayed into Andrew Wiggins, and Steph kept stiffing sparking a second-win title run that absolutely no one saw coming. No one can say exactly when a dynasty will end or how. Sometimes we don't know how long after the fact. Is this Warriors' reign over, perhaps? But they've defied the odds before. Curry at 35 is still playing like an MVP, and Green, for all of his warts, is still an undeniable force. So when the Warriors are whole, they can still be devastating. So bury them if you must, crank up the rumor mill and the trade machine, but if there is indeed some life left in this dynasty, if it's theirs, if there's somehow a final chapter to be written, it's almost certainly to be written with Draymond Green co-authoring the script. It's a really good article by Howard Beck, who's a great writer, really smart NBA guy. And he's right. You know, right now, Draymond has caught the ire and the arrows of all of Warriors fans and critics and media members alike. And rightfully so, he's deserved every single one of them. He really has. Draymond, does, is, this is not conduct becoming of an officer and a gentleman. It's not. And look, the Warriors are paying a price for it in real time. You know, they're 12 and 14. They're only six and six at home. And this evening, they're taking on the Boston Celtics, who are 20 and five overall. You know, I mean, the Celtics are much better than the Warriors, no doubt about that. And the Warriors are probably going to catch one tonight. Unless, of course, Steve Kerr realizes, hey, I got some guys that I used to not have any trust in, and I got to put more trust in them. Because guys that I want to trust to come and play the same game that I expect them to play all the time really can't be trusted to do that. More Kaminga, more Pajemski, more Trace Jackson Davis. I want to see it all. I think you do too. And I think that Steve Kerr is starting to realize that he needs to see it. And he needs to lean into other ideas than just my same ideas coming through again and again and again. 
I didn't include it in the clipped portion of the article, but what I really, really liked was that Howard Beck basically said, it's like Miracle Max in The Princess Bride. The warriors are mostly dead, but that means they're still slightly alive. Surviving the three weeks of the Draymond suspension ain't going to be easy, but it almost forces Steve Kerr to look for other options and other solutions on his own bench. And that's the only place that options and solutions are going to be found this year. There is no magic trade to make this all better. There isn't. There just isn't. So the solutions need to be in-house. They might be in-house. Keep playing the young kids in the house and see where that gets you. Because I think we've had a long enough run here, right? A long enough run to see what we're what we're looking at with some of these older guys. And even though, you know, Clay's shooting splits have hopefully rounded a corner and we'll stay around that corner of bad Clay to good Clay. Looks like we're rounding a corner into a better version of Clay. You know, Andrew Wiggins coming off the bench, it looks like that might have woken him up a little. Good. Good. I mean, sometimes somebody's got to double lapel that guy and get him to be more intense about something. Nothing snatches an NBA player's attention quite like minutes. So keep being stingy with those minutes to those who might not deserve it, Steve, and keep giving those minutes away to young kids who are trying to prove that they can do it. Because every time I see a guy who classifies as a youngin' Of the Golden State Warriors, Moody, Kaminga, Pajemski, Trace Jackson Davis, I want to see more of them, not less of them. There isn't one young player on this team that I see out on the court and I just think, oh man, he's just a, he's not helping. Get him off the court. Get him, get him out of there. Get get that get that kid off the court. I don't see it. Neither do you. And Steve can't pretend he does either. I got one other thing from the world of basketball. And folks, this really is why, and this might not gain me any fans or favors or members or likes or super chats or clicks or whatever, but it's the honest to God's truth. And that's what this show is all about. The reason why LeBron James, I think now officially classifies as the greatest NBA player of all time, greater than Jordan. And again, it's hard for me to say that, Michael Jordan, very, very special place, not only in my heart and in my brain, but in my nostalgia and the the reason why I'm a sports fan to the degree of which I am, like Michael Jordan, is a real big deal in my world, a real big deal. What I love about LeBron James is even though we all know that Father Time will end his, his record undefeated. You cannot beat father time. You just, you cannot do it. Everyone who has ever been a professional athlete has aged out the same way that everyone who's ever lived has died. Okay. You cannot beat father time. Undefeated is father time. But LeBron James is literally giving father time the single greatest game father time has ever played against a particular athlete. He truly is you know, that in-season tournament 
And I know that the the Lakers, what, they just had a home game and they raised an in-season tournament banner inside of Staples Center or crypto or whatever it's called now. Uh, They raised an in-season tournament banner and there are a lot of people laughing at that, goofing on it. Why? There isn't a player in the league who needed an in-season tournament victory on their resume less than LeBron James, and that guy still wanted it more than everybody else in the NBA, and that is a level of greatness, folks, that you've got to appreciate. The man who has nothing left to prove in an in-season tournament that everyone agrees is manufactured and fictitious almost Because it was a straight-up competition that everyone was able to compete for, LeBron decided, we're fucking doing this. We're doing it. I want it. Do you know how impressive that is? To need nothing and want something so bad? Like, to me, I respect the hell out of that. And then there's also this in terms of the LeBron v. Father Time department. The most triple-doubles by a player after their 15th season in the NBA, okay? Their most triple-doubles ever by a player after their 15th season in the NBA. LeBron James now has 35 of them. 35 triple-doubles post his 15th season. The rest of NBA history has 20. Every player that has ever played in any season that's ever been contended that has been a 15th season or greater, you add up everyone that has ever done it and you get 15. And LeBron has 35 on his own. Excuse me, you get 20 if you add everyone. LeBron has 35. 15 more than everybody else who ever played combined. That's extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. You go ahead and dislike LeBron James all you want. You're basically, at this point, you're rooting against the sun. The man is at the center of the galaxy in basketball. He really is. He still is. And to be at the center of it, to be this good, this effective, this powerful, this dominant, this still agile on a nightly basis is ludicrous. It's ludicrous. I mean... It's one thing to be, you know, Phil Necro in his 40s throwing up knuckleballs. It's another thing to be running up and down an NBA court at LeBron's age and, and doing what he's doing. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. It really is. A uh, couple of other things. The San Francisco Giants, okay, they've gotten a nice little bounce after the uh, Jung Hoo Lee signing, because uh, Mr. Lee is an absolute charmer. Absolute charmer. You can't help but like him. You watch any of his broken English press conference, and you're going to walk away going, I think I love that guy. He is, before he's taken a major league at bat, among the most popular, popular, most marketable, and maybe the most liked San Francisco Giant on this team. But 
Once baseball season starts, one of the things you might find out is that he's one of the more overpaid players in all of baseball. Again, they just signed a guy. Uh, instead of promoting any minor leaguer that they think would be a decent major leaguer for the cost of a major league minimum salary, they decided to go get someone who's playing Korean ball, which is about the equivalent of double A ball, and give him a $113 million six-year contract. I'm telling you that it's a bold move. And every single second of Farhan's future should be attached to this one decision alone, truly. Like, Farhan's got a lot to get better at, but this one decision alone, like if this kid isn't hitting above 270 by the All-Star break, Farhan should be fired. This kid better be instant awesome, the way that they're paying him. They're paying him like he's already been to multiple All-Star games. We'll see. But I can tell you, if you're paying him $113 million and you had $700 million on the table for Shohei Otani, you still got about $600 million worth to play with. And you better start playing with it, San Francisco Giants. Now, today, the San Francisco Giants acquired, in a trade with the Cincinnati Reds, TJ Hopkins. I had to find out if TJ Hopkins were an outfielder, an infielder, or a pitcher. I had no idea who he was. So your offseason for the Giants has consisted of TJ Hopkins, who, by the way, is an outfielder, and the kid from Korea, and what? I'm telling you right now, you know, an overpay for Bellinger, I'm the first one to say don't do it, but it'd be better than nothing. If uh, You know what I would do? I would make sure that you won the Yamamoto sweepstakes. You get Yoshi Yamamoto, and you go out and you sign Blake Snell. You better get both of them because pitching and defense is the only path through the upcoming multiple seasons of baseball that the Giants are going to be facing. They're not going to be able to out-hit the Dodgers. They're not going to be able to out-hit the Padres, who even without Juan Soto still have a more robust lineup than the Giants can offer. And remember, there's this little team in Arizona that just happened to be the defending National League champions. So you might want to do something about that. And what do you do when you got really good lineups and athletic teams? You, you pitch your dicks off. And that's what the 49er, excuse me, the Giants need to do. The San Francisco Giants, go get Blake Snell. You know, I, I he, he just won the Cy Young, so there's going to be no deals to be had on him, but he really liked Bob Melvin. Put them two back together. Go get Yamamoto, the Japanese Tim Lincecum, and pitch your dicks off. That's the only chance you're going to have. Pitching and defense, pitching and defense, pitching and defense. The Giants are not going to be able to sit at the, 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 the plate and hit with anybody. So do that. And there you go. That is today's show. I hope it was good for you. I hope you enjoyed it. I really, really appreciate all the support that you guys have given me, by the way. A super chat coming in from Mike Baker. Your logo fits your story perfectly, Damon. Take him down. I plan on it. I plan on it. Thank you very, very much. So... Are you ready for a little quick uh, Club Plus? You ready to get into that? I want to thank everybody who's listened to the podcast today. Your support over there means the world to us, too. And I'm going to tell you right now that sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, whew, he's gone.